Allison Paul, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake. They got into a boat and were crossing the lake to Capernaum. It was already getting dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them yet. The water was getting rough because a strong wind was blowing. When the wind had driven them out for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water. He was approaching the boat, and they were afraid. He said to them, I am, don't be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. And just then, the boat reached the land where they had been heading. Well, if you remember last week, we left off in the story of John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, right? That was a big deal. And then at the end of it, they wanted to make Jesus a king, or at least the king that they envisioned. Jesus like, that's not what I came for. And he withdraws to be by himself. And that's kind of where we pick up this story. Hey, here's the overall point that John puts in this story, uh, this simple story of getting out on the water, the waves blowing, and Jesus having to show up. It's simply this, it, don't go anywhere without Jesus. That would, be the, that would be the key message that John is sharing here. And John actually plays with a, a couple little setup tools that we would see, like actually in our movies or TV shows, John actually shows those. So let's uh, jump into this, uh, John chapter 6, and I want you to see if you don't kind of see yourself in this story, or your life circumstances, or, or what you might be walking through, how it kind of shows up here too, and draws us back to this point. Don't go anywhere without Jesus. That's really what John is getting at. All right, the first verse that Allie read to us, uh, verse 16, that evening Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, but as darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come back. So they got in the boat and they headed across towards the lake, uh, towards Capernaum. Now, remember last week, Jesus was teaching on these mountainsides. Where these mountains were and where Capernaum was, this is a pretty close place. In fact, this is walkable distance, really. Maybe a little longer than if you kind of cut across with the boat. But this is not a super far distance at all. Likely, they had brought their boats to where they're at, so they needed to take their boats onto Capernaum. And so they're waiting for Jesus, who, remember, had withdrawn to be by himself, and they're waiting for him. And he doesn't show up, at least not in the time frame that they have wanted. Have you ever had that happen in your Christian life? You're waiting for God to show up, and he said, well, I'm not going to show up in your time frame, right? That's one of the hardest things for us as Christians, to be patient in the Lord, so they're waiting and Jesus doesn't show up. So what do they decide to do? They'll just go ahead and head out, right? Now, darkness has fallen at this point, but it's a very short trip and they'll stay close to the shore. Now, I will not pretend to be a boatman, right? But it kind of makes sense. I kind of get it. If you got a boat and you navigate along the shore at nighttime, not too terrible, and a route that they might be very familiar with. And so they head out without Jesus, now, I don't want to read too much in the passage. It's not like John pops up and goes, they headed out without Jesus, big mistake. He doesn't write it that way. But as we look back on it, we can almost see John is setting it up. You're watching the beginning of a movie, right? And they're kind of setting up. And you've seen so many movies and TV shows, you know, like, man, the, the director here is kind of setting up tragedy to happen. Something is about to happen here at the beginning, and it's going to set into motion what the movie or the, the TV show is going to be about. You can almost see John doing this by saying they're waiting. Darkness fell. So they decided, well, let's just go ahead and go without him. 
Now, you might remember the book of John, up till now, when John talks about darkness, it is often he is talking about lostness or blindness, or he's contrasted light and dark, talking about Jesus. And so darkness is something like we don't have it, or we have it without Jesus, we don't have light, or even evil shows up. These are things that darkness represents in the book of John. So don't think that John doesn't understand what he's trying to say and he's trying to put this message out. They left under the cover of darkness without Jesus. Why? What's a familiar path? It's familiar. Do you do things like that throughout your week that you're like, this is, this is such a small decision. This is a small thing. Why would I even confer with Jesus? Why would I even care what God thinks on this? Why would I even look at my Bible for direction on this? This is such a small, meaningless task. How does that work out for you, right? I could share you my stories where I got myself in trouble with that kind of thinking, but that's common, and that's what they were thinking here, familiar path. So what is John setting up to start this little story? Be careful when you set out without Jesus. Just be careful. Anytime you set out without Jesus, you go to work every day, you commute, I don't know, maybe you drive 15 minutes, whoop-de-doo, right? Why go to starting that, Lord, go with me today on this trip. Go with me in this day. Lord, if there be somebody that I need to have my eyes open to, that I might be a blessing to them, would you show me and direct me in that? That kind of prayer is powerful. It's not get in the car and just head out without Jesus. That's what Paul, or excuse me, that's what John is setting up in this story. And then we find out what happens. Look at verse 18. Soon a gale wind swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. Now, we're not told it was a storm, so don't confuse this with some other passages about storms on lakes that might show up in the other Gospels. But we do get a wind blowing at night. And it looks like it's pretty strong the way he described it because he says this in verse 19. They had rode three or four miles. Now that's a long time. If you want to get in your map and you want to see kind of the mountains where that region is where he likely would have taught and where Capernaum was, that's short, very walkable in a short time. It's not three or four miles. So this wind had done something to their little adventure here and had pushed them in a certain direction away from where they need to go. Now, I've never sailed in my life, right? So I can't talk intelligently about that, but I do know the wind has a, something to do with it, right? So when this wind is pushing, they have to set their sail in a certain way where they are using the wind. And you can't always just go in a straight line. And we find three or four miles. Now, let's not read too much into it. We don't know if they're out in the middle of the lake, if it blew them, or if they're overshot their destination, now they got to come back. We don't quite know. But we know a short distance just turned into a long, hard grind. Does that resonate with you at all in life? Have you ever had a quick little thing? Dads, we like taking shortcuts. You know, we're in the car. This is a shortcut. We'll just go this way. Maybe not as much now that we have all the, the uh, GPSs and stuff. But I remember when I was young, my dad's watching this morning. So, you know, we're going to take a shortcut. And there's a collective gasp in the car. <gasps> you know, because we understand in life this happens. It's a little decision. It's a little thing. It's familiar. It's quick. And next thing we know, life has hit us in a certain way where we are figuratively three or four miles off course. 
that's hurt. That's a grind. And that's how, where the disciples find themselves on this little journey. So the unexpected winds pop up. Now, you've got to understand that there are lots of adventures across lakes and seas in boats, and their experience, the disciples, in using a boat. So when you look in the other Gospels, don't think there's like one story. Because you might have already in this story said, wait a second, I thought Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, right? And then he started sinking. Well, he does another time in one of the other Gospels. Sea adventures and lake adventures, this is common for them. In this particular story, though, at night, the wind whips up and takes them off course. Listen, John knows life is filled with unexpected difficulties. Are they not? I mean, if they were all expected, you could gear up for them. You may not like them, but you could have geared up for them. Life's full of unexpected difficulties. Chances are this week, if you want to script out your week starting tomorrow morning at whatever time you wake up, it will not go to script, right? Something will happen this week. In my script, I get every green light coming down here to the church from my house, right? That script's blown every week, right? Life comes at us with much, much more difficult things than red lights. Hits us hard at times. And that's what we find happens with the disciples here. But then, and this is odd, suddenly there was Jesus was walking on the water towards the boat. They're in the middle of the lake, and Jesus comes walking on the water. Listen, we love like Jonah in the belly of a well type of story. We love the parting of the Red Sea type of story in the Old Testament. I remember the first time I was in college when I heard the story of the talking donkey. Do you know that story in the Bible? If you don't know it, just Google it. You'll, you'll love that story, right? We love those stories. It's supernatural. I, don't, I think they, they don't even come close to describing looking out in darkness and Jesus is walking on the water when you left him at the shore three or four miles back. But there he is, walking on the water to them. Now that's got to be enough to freak you out, right? There was Jesus walking right there where they were. Listen, they had left Jesus to likely walk to Capernaum by himself. Probably they weren't going to make Jesus, not, not in the position he was in, get in a boat by himself and go. The people were trying to make him king, so they certainly weren't leaving him so he could go with the people. He likely was going to make that journey on his own or with a very small group. And yet there he is, right there. It's nighttime. They're probably away from the shore. It's not like Jesus can see them. He didn't text them and say, hey, we're in trouble, Jesus. But there he is. There he is, right in front of him. Jesus appears in the least way imaginable. Least way. I mean, somebody might have said, let's get back to shore and we'll walk the shoreline. and Maybe we'll find him. Nobody was thinking he would show up. In fact, if anything, they might have thought this. There's no way he's showing up because we left him. Like we had our chance and we left him. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Like God directed, God spoke, and you ignored God? You moved on with your own way? And then thought God's done with you now? You know, shook his hands of you? You know, you had your chance? And we talk that way sometimes. I mean, people post that way on Facebook sometimes. Things like, well, they got what they deserved, that type of thing. 
Yet the disciples left Jesus, and Jesus is standing right in front of them. He comes to them on the water. I don't know about you, but to me, that is incredibly encouraging of my Jesus. He's not done with his disciples here. He goes and he finds them on the water. And I think for you and I, we might want to remember, Jesus wants to be there with us too. In fact, Jesus is saying, my presence with you is significant. Now, their response, probably the same as you and I, right? I mean, sometimes we're hard on the disciples, and we're like, what's wrong with those knuckleheads, right? But listen, I would have been freaked out as well. In fact, another story of Jesus uh, appearing to the disciples on water, the, the writer actually says they thought it was a ghost, which I'm like, well, I, yeah, I could see thinking that. Well, that was their response. Take a look. They were terrified. But he called out. What does he say? It's like he says all the time, don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Over and over and over, we find when the angel appears, when God speaks to the prophet, when Jesus appears, what is the phrase that's almost always said? Don't be afraid. Like God is saying, look, when my presence is with you, you don't have to be afraid. Is it natural for humans to be afraid? Yeah, there's nothing wrong. You don't sin because you're afraid. But once we recognize that God is with us or Jesus is with us in this story, The need to fear ceases. We don't have to camp out there anymore. We don't have to live in fear anymore. That's what Jesus is getting at. Now, one of two things might have happened. Biblical scholars, they don't necessarily agree. I don't know that they're fighting on this, but they offer a couple different things. One, either the disciples, they don't immediately recognize it's Jesus. They're just not quite, they see this, but they don't quite notice it. And so they might have thought more in terms of a ghost or this this thing on the water, it's possible, or it's, it's not the Jesus that they had perceived. Up till now, they had seen Jesus in a certain way. They had seen Jesus do things, behave in a certain way, speak in a certain way. This takes it to a whole nother level when you're walking on the water out in the middle. It's like the time to, if you ever like discover somebody's got a talent that you didn't know they had. They're your friends, they're your coworker, you hang out with them. And all of a sudden, you go out, and they do something that you had no idea they do. And just the amazement, you had never perceived them in that way. It's very possible that was the case here as well. Well, whichever of those, we'll let the biblical scholars wrestle that one out. Jesus says to them, you don't have to be afraid. It's me. It's me. Listen, I don't know what you're walking through. It could be for you like you're just on the edge of something, And like every night, like that fear just kind of wants to take over, almost preventing you from getting to sleep at night. And I think Jesus says the same thing. Look, when I'm near, you don't need to be afraid. Notice in this story, unlike Mark 6, it doesn't tell us at least clearly that Jesus said, when, knock it off, stop, and calmed everything down. It's possible they finished this journey with Jesus with the wind going as well. But when Jesus is with them, they don't need to fear. That's an encouragement to you and I. When you draw near to God, you don't have to be afraid. Listen, it might still be a rocky road. You might still have to work through what you're dealing with. But you don't have to camp out in fear. 
And that is what Jesus is getting at here. In fact, you can do this on your own. Look back in that story in Mark chapter 4. And when you read that, there's a fear as well. And see, Jesus actually chastises the disciples. See what he chastises them for. Not for having fear, but for remaining in fear. You read that on your own another time. It can be part of your devotion. Fear never has to win when Jesus is near. That's what John is letting us know here in this story. Well, verse 21 tells us kind of how it wraps up. Then they're eager to let Jesus in the boat. Well, I hope so, right? You left me on the shore, right? You went out and did it your own way. Life circumstances kicked up. You know, it steered you way off course. You got disoriented. You got confused. You got lost, right? You overshot your, your landing, whatever happened. And then I came out to you on the water to find you and to be near you. You better let me in the boat now. But you know what? So often people don't. God shows up. God does something. God speaks to their heart. I know that was God. Man, God's really challenged me. He's leading me. God asked me to do this. And and what do we do? Sometimes we leave Jesus out on the water and we just move along. It's almost like we're, we're enamored by like, wow, Jesus can walk on water? He can do that? That's pretty awesome. All right, I'm over it. Jesus, we'll see you. So don't overlook that little verse. They welcomed him into the boat. That may be where you're at this morning. Not that you want to be hostile to Jesus at all or to Christianity in your life or what God wants to direct you to. It's just, you're just moving forward without inviting Jesus right in the boat. Listen, when Jesus gets in the boat, like that's wide open season for Jesus to speak into about anything, right? The boat's pretty small. Jesus is there. He sees everything you're doing, what's going on, and you've invited him into your space fully. I think that scares us sometimes, even as Christians. But they invite him in the boat. And then this weird passage, take a look at this. And immediately they arrived at their destination. Did that strike anyone as odd when Allie read that? Immediately, like, poof, they're there. Now, we know it can happen that way because we actually remember Jesus on the walk to Emmaus after the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus is walking with two guys. They're like, I can't believe the events that are going on in Jerusalem today. Can't believe it. They don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, what events are you talking about? You know, very clever of Jesus to ask, and they share everything that had just happened, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of this, or there's, there's rumors of resurrection, all of this kind of stuff. Then remember what Jesus did? He breaks the bread. But what does the pastor say after that? They recognize him, and then, poof, he's gone. He disappears, and they're like, what? where was it? Where'd that guy go? So we know it's possible Jesus could work in this way. It's possible that uh, either there was this supernatural transporting to shore, Like they're out maybe in the middle of the lake, way off course. And just like this, supernaturally, they are at the dock or the shore or where they need to be. Possible. Another interpretation is that that wind and the darkness that John speaks to us about there prevented them from recognizing the shore. Meaning like here, it's right here, but you are blinded. You can't see it. And there's something about Jesus' presence in their boat that opens their eyes and allows them to see. Again, we'll, we're going to let the biblical scholars wrestle that one out and fight over that. However they do it, I don't know. They can, they can arm wrestle for it. 
But it, either way, it helps us. Either way, it speaks to us. That Jesus still is involved in the supernatural. Jesus still does stuff that's unexplainable to us. He takes somebody's heart who's hostile to God and maybe is just a jerk to everyone else and transforms that heart into someone who loves God and wants to bless and serve people. That doesn't make sense. That's supernatural. Jesus still does that type of stuff. But Jesus also still opens up our eyes. He opens our eyes to actually see something that's right in front of us. Listen, even in a small church our size and our two services, there are people that are hurting. There's people that you might need to be a blessing to and help. And Jesus still opens people's eyes so that they can look around and go, wow, I've seen you every week. I've never seen that. I've never seen what I need to do. I've never seen what God has called me to do. Jesus does this still. So we could say our direction and our destination is made known to us in Jesus. Whether by supernatural poof, or whether it's just the opening of our eyes to now see things like God sees things. So here's the takeaway. I told you at the beginning, take Jesus with you. It's as simple as that. Start your day with Jesus. Start your work day with Jesus. If you're thinking, especially if you've got small kids and you're like, what's the next step with these kids? Take Jesus along with those decisions. Everything you do, take Jesus with you. I want to give you four quick practical ways that you can do this as well. Now, these four ways don't show up in the scripture. These are practical ways, though, that you can take Jesus with you. Here's the first. Start your day with devotions. Start your day. Listen, you don't wake up and not get dressed in the morning, right? That would be very awkward if you don't and you head out in that way, right? You probably brush your teeth in the morning. Those who are around you would really appreciate it that you brush your teeth in the morning, But why is it so easy for us as Christians to get up and not have time with God? Likely, if somebody asked us, we'd say, God's the most important thing in my life. But what does it look like? So start your day with devotions. Open up and start your day with God. Here's the second one. Memorize a verse every week. Woo, right? Oh, that's tough. Memorize a verse every week. Listen, if you're like, I'm not very good at memorizing, right? Here's what you do. Google top 20 shortest verses in the Bible, right? You can Google it, and you can look those up. Now, I would encourage you to get past Jesus wept. You already know that one. Uh, There are a ton of verses that are like five and six words long that are so impactful. They're so impactful. And so Google that, find a few verses. But I would encourage you more if you're one that wants to try to tackle this a verse uh, a week. Look for ones that have impacted you in your time, in your devotions, or something that, you know, I said on Sunday mornings, or something somebody else posted on Facebook or something like that, and memorize those. Do you know what memorization really is? It's simple repetition. It's repetition. It's why our kids at a small age can come to us and they can recite verbatim something they watched on YouTube over and over and over and over, right? But when we, we invite them into memorizing a Bible verse, it's very tough for them. Well, it's simple memorization, or excuse me, it's simple um, uh, repetition over and over and over. Write out an I will statement. Do you know what I will means? It means this. You read a passage and you say this, 
if I believe this is the Word of God, this week I will do this. If I believe this is the Word of God this week, I will, I will say kind things because maybe the passage just told you that or whatever the passage might say. You write out an I will. I will do this this week. But make sure you start it off by, by reminding yourself, if this is the Word of God, if I believe this passage is the Word of God, I will. And whatever it might be, and then carry that out. But here's an important one, this last one, and so, so few Christians do it. Find accountability. Find accountability. Listen, you're accountable in a lot of different areas. Unless you're the head boss, you're accountable to somebody at your job. But even if you're the head boss, you're kind of accountable to your employees as well, right? You're probably accountable in your marriage in some form. If you tell your kids you're going to do something, you are probably account- held accountable by your kids on things. But it's so easy for us to try to navigate Christianity, our Christian growth, with no accountability whatsoever. Nobody asking us, hey, how did that go? Hey, tell me about your I will statement. Did you live that? I will memorize this verse this week. And nobody at the end of the week said, hey, how'd you, how are you doing on that memorization of that verse? Accountability is so, so important that you'd invite somebody in to hold you accountable and to really help you along in this Christian growth. Take Jesus with you everywhere you go in every way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Simple passage, Lord, of uh, an event that could have been really, really bad, but you show up again. And even when you, the disciples have left you, you have not left them. You're not done with them. You show up to offer yourself again. And thank you. The example is you, they invited you in. Lord, may we never take that second opportunity and not invite you into our boat, into our life, into every avenue. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you in that way. May we take you along everywhere, every day, in every decision, small, big, whatever. We look to you first. We pray in your son's name. Amen.